Thanks, guys. Thanks for blessing us there so well. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. Uh, that's all you need. That's all you need. There's um, a great sermon series I heard years ago was uh, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Sort of doesn't make sense when you think about it like that, but that's so true. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. If you have Christ, you have everything you need. So uh, thank you for uh, singing that last song to uh, encourage us and bless us. Um, yeah, we want to be praying for those guys doing exams. So you two girls got a couple this week? Confident? Mm, maybe. Joel, have you got any left, mate? How many? One. Right, so you're on the downhill slide. Confident? Yeah, okay. As confident as Joel can be in this situation, yeah. Good, good. It's always a tough time when you're going through exams. You put all that work together and you try and cram it all in and you think if I got it all and then you open up that exam paper. Ugh. Oh, that was many years ago for me, like about 30-odd years ago. So actually, probably longer, probably 35 years ago. Excellent. Yes, Remembrance Day today. I think that's a, that's a great thing um, that we can remember is, uh, is the end of the war, but also as we prayed there earlier on, uh, that many, many people come home uh, back from those battles and even today in the, in the battles are still happening around the world with sort of psychological dramas and problems and it's a very tough situation for, for people to be in as they go through those sort of things. So we've got to remember those people in prayer often and particularly on a day like today. That's why we wanted to do that as a church, just to, um, again, uh, thank the Lord for that. Uh, thank you for Rob and the team last week as we are away for the weekend uh, for stepping in and helping out to... Um, uh, keep providing a service here. We want to keep lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. So thanks uh, for all those who helped out. And then the guys who help out every week, because there's a team of volunteers that every week come here and they get here about 8 o'clock and they start pulling chairs out and setting up leads and all sorts of stuff. So that doesn't happen sort of just like that. People have got to come early and do that. So I'm always thankful for that uh, as that takes place in and around exchange here. Okay, we are into uh, our sermon series, Spiritual Warfare. That, that's recording, isn't it, um, Kath? Yep, all good. No worries. We've had a few problems out the last few weeks, so I just wanted to double-check that. Spiritual warfare. Uh, we've done a few sessions now. We're now went to uh, about number three or four, I think. Once I get my Bible open up, I've gone too far. Um, there's a golf tournament in um, the USA called the Masters. And the winner of that tournament... Um, gets to put on a green jacket. Who's ever seen the final day of the Masters? Okay, there's a few hands going up there, and they get to wear this green jacket. Are you a bit of a golfer, Jim, or you just watch it on TV? Okay, right, it's all right. Don't even watch it. Only occasionally. Just the highlights, just the highlights. They do. If they win this Masters tournament, there's this green jacket they get to put on. It's like the coveted moment that you can actually have. You can put this jacket on. Now, it's not much to look at. It's certainly no fashion statement, but there is some sort of prestige as you... Put this jacket on and wrap it around yourself. Uh, you are the winner of the Masters tournament in the USA. And the, and the wearer of that jacket, even though it's not a fashion item, he knows who he is. He knows he's the winner of the Masters uh, tournament in the USA. Doesn't matter how he feels three weeks later or three months later, he knows that he's still the holder of that jacket. He may not be wearing it at that particular time, but he still knows he's the holder of that jacket And he is still the Masters champion, as it were, clothed in that green jacket. In a similar way, that's how we are when we're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we will always be wrapped in his perfection, despite what's happening in our life and despite how we feel. 
we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And we're going to look at that today as we think about this uh, passage here in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. So if you've got your Bibles, please uh, read with me as I read here. Verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Hallelujah. Father, thank you uh, for this precious, living, eternal word. We ask and pray now that, Holy Spirit, you would just breathe life into this word right now. As we just think and reflect and meditate today on the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that clothes us. As we just think on that, I pray, Holy Spirit, breathe life into that today, that you would renew our hearts and our minds, that we would actually, as it were, know that we know that we know that we know that we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ and we would feel secure and confident in that. God, we ask that now in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Every individual is in a battle, in a war, whether we know it or not. Uh, There's a wrestle of good and evil going on inside of all of us. Uh, Every person can identify with this wrestle to some extent. Uh, We may be presented with a circumstance or situation uh, where we have to make a choice. The manager at work's told us, hey, I want you at the job site by 7am tomorrow morning. I'll be there about 8am and uh, come then. And then maybe a little thought in our mind comes, oh, okay, he's not going to be there till 8. Will I turn up at 7 or will I turn up at quarter past 7 and maybe just sleep in a bit because the manager's not going to be there? We have a bit of a wrestle in our mind. Will I turn up early? And I'm going to sing a few smiles even as I say that. A bit of a wrestle happening right now. Will I get to church at 10 o'clock or will I get to church at 5 past 10? No, no. That's the wrestle that goes on. And the Christian truly identifies uh, this battle with the forces of darkness uh, known as Satan and his hordes of demons. Satan has declared war on our souls as believers and actually on every single individual in the world. Satan, the mastermind of evil, is moment by moment working to influence us to do evil things. Very subversively, but he is. He's working on us and influencing us to do evil things, to reject God, to doubt God, to mistrust God, and then to allow this evil within us to be then carried out onto others around about us. This is happening in a very, very subtle way around about us. Here's one thing that Satan uh, wants us to think in this spiritual battle. He, He wants us to think this. He wants us to think that we are not in a battle. 
He really does. He, he wants to deceive us that far that we're not really actually in this battle. He doesn't want us to be aware of his deceptions and his lies that he keeps, as it were, infiltrating our hearts and our minds with. He wants to keep us in the dark about life and about who he is, about sort of the tactics and the schemes that he works up. And he wants to do this even through our feelings and emotions as well. I'm going to look at that today. Satan will work through feelings and emotions that we have through life. And he will use those feelings and emotions to crush us and to defeat us. That's one of his big weapons of trying to get into our lives. But God has a provision here for us in this battle. God provides us a spiritual breastplate of steel to enable us to stand in this battle, to overcome in this battle and to come against and achieve victory over Satan's schemes and devious plans through this breastplate of righteousness that uh, the Holy Spirit enables us with. And it's probably one of the most vital things that we can take hold of in this battle. It is our righteousness, our righteous position in Christ. And that's where we want to go today as, uh, as we look at that. Okay, righteousness in Christ. To start with here, it's really important to understand what does Paul mean here when he says this word righteousness. It's a big word in the Bible. Sometimes people get a bit confused here. So Paul calls it the breastplate of righteousness. What does Paul mean here when he says by the word righteousness? Through the Bible, righteousness carries a couple of meanings. A couple of meanings. One is the righteousness that we need before God. And the other is our righteousness through our living, our right living. Both of these, the righteousness that we have before God in Christ and our righteousness through our living, both of these are needed in the battle against Satan. To uh, unmask his schemes and to see through his lies and deceptions, we need to be thinking and applying the righteousness of Christ to our lives and living out a right life. What does righteous mean, though, you might ask again? What does righteous mean? Righteous means to be blameless or to have moral purity. To be blameless or to have moral purity. You could use it like this. In the matter of this crime, he or she is a righteous person. They are blameless in this crime. They are not guilty of that crime. They are innocent of that offence. We could say that about somebody and and say, you are righteous in this situation. And when it comes to breaking these laws, you are righteous. You did not break those laws. You are blameless. And I'm, or I'm, I'm standing in this righteous position. So it's a position of I'm blameless before you for those laws. And that righteousness of being blameless is precisely what we need before God. We need to be blameless before him. We need a right standing, as it were, before a pure and holy God. And this righteousness is, a, is an impenetrable piece of armour for us. As We're going to see this as we unpack this as we go through. And we need to see this is exactly what the gospel provides for us, is this uh, breastplate of righteousness, this impenetrable piece of armour that Christ gives to us through his righteousness. And the key verse here to help explain this for us, this righteousness of Christ, is in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. And it says this, For our sake he, Jesus that is, uh, God sorry, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, So Jesus, who had knew no sin, became sin, as it were, took sin upon himself, so that in him we, us, 
might become the righteousness of God. Let me explain what's happening here in this verse. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who is blameless and righteous in every way, him who knew no sin. We're talking about Jesus there. Blameless and righteous in every possible way. He takes our brokenness, he takes our failings, he takes our sin upon himself at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin or took our sin upon himself and he pays the price of that unrighteousness, that unrighteousness, which is death. Jesus does this so that we can receive his righteousness now upon us. He takes our sin and he gives to us his perfection or his righteousness. Uh, Martin Luther coined that verse or called that verse the great exchange. I reckon that would be a great name for a church, wouldn't it? Some of you got it, yeah. Exchange church, there you go. That's what it is. It's the gospel. Jesus takes all of our unrighteousness, our failings, our sin upon himself and he gives to us his perfection, his righteousness. Now we can't see that happen in a physical sense. We sort of can't see, as it were, sin lifted off us or all my failings lifted off me and somehow I physically see this righteousness of Jesus sort of come up. We don't see it physically take place in a physical um, interaction as such, but we know that and we believe that is what takes place because the Bible here tells us it's what takes place. It's something we just believe. It's something we know. It's not something we physically actually see. But that's what takes place here. Paul has this long discussion also in Romans chapter 3 about this, where he talks about being righteous or uses this word justified uh, in a position. Let's have a look at Romans 3, 21, 24 to try and help us with that. But now the righteousness, there's that word again, of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, the perfection that God requires, through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now there's a really long passage there where Paul's talking about this to the Roman church. Um, probably not doing a lot of justice today by skimming it over somewhat quickly. But if you want to go back through and read through some of those chapters in Romans, you'll get a real good understanding here of the righteousness that God gives to us through Jesus Christ. But let's pick up on a few words here to help us understand here this righteousness of Christ that we're thinking about. The word justified there in verse 24 means right. Justified in her actions. In other words, she was right if someone was being um, asked why you did such and such a thing. Someone would say, oh no, you did that for the right reasons. You were justified in doing that because of whatever reasons it was. It is then a declared position. You're in a position of being, I'm right. Yep, in what I've done, I'm right. It's not wrong. What I've actually done is the right thing. Justified by his grace as a gift. And we see another word there also uh, back in... Verse 22, the word faith. Faith. We receive this righteous position, this justified position by faith. We don't do anything to earn this or, as it were, to somehow deserve it. We just believe what has taken place. So through believing or trusting, 
It's by faith that we receive this righteous or justified position by believing what God has done for us in Jesus Christ at the cross. To give this another name to try and pull it together, uh, it is justification by faith. We are justified by faith. We are declared right by faith in what Jesus has done for us. Our faith doesn't declare us right. Jesus declares us right. But we, we apply that to our lives or appropriate that to our lives by believing in and trusting in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Let me try and summarise so in case there's any confusion here because I've had a lot of stuff just over the last few minutes and some of that can be sort of all swimming out there and not quite connecting. We are not righteous in ourselves. We're not. I mean, we all have failings. We've all fallen short of God's perfect standard. So we're not righteous in ourselves. We are broken people and we've fallen short of God's standard of living as our, as, uh, before him as our creator. We need righteousness. We need a right position to be able to stand before a pure and holy God. Jesus comes and takes all of our unrighteousness off us or bears it at the cross and at that same time exchanges and gives us his perfection. So that when God sees us, he sees us through the absolutely perfect life of who Jesus Christ is. You might think of it like it's like a bank account. They call it the imputed righteousness or the credit. God credits to our account the perfection of Christ. We are, we're passive in the sense we don't do anything for it except believe it by faith and accept it by faith. So we are unrighteous. We need righteousness. Jesus Christ gives us his. At the same time, he takes off us our unrighteousness. And we receive that by faith. I hope you understand that. This is one of the key doctrines of Christianity, justification or our right position by faith in Christ alone. This is actually the foundation of the Protestant Reformation from nearly 500 years ago. This is what Martin Luther and many other reformers discovered, that we are declared right before God by our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. The church of the day back then had bound people up by saying, you need to do this, 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 and this. And then you need to keep hold of these traditions and these traditions and these traditions. And then maybe God may accept you. They had been totally bound up by this and sort of tied down to this legalistic lifestyle, trying to keep all of these laws to somehow earn God's acceptance and then receive God's righteous position or God's rightness upon their lives or acceptance on their lives. And everybody failed. Nobody can do that. Nobody can meet that standard. Nobody can actually fulfil all of the laws that God requires of us because we are broken people. But these reformers discovered this truth in the Bible. It's justification. It's our right position in Christ and received by faith alone. And it becomes this really key doctrine. The people who were trying to earn it by legal ways were just left with guilt and condemnation. They couldn't make it. They couldn't do it. But these guys discovered again in the Bible, it was justification by faith alone. Now, some of you might be right at this point saying, okay, what's this got to do with the breastplate of righteousness? We will draw some connections in a minute and you'll see just how powerful it is. But if you can get this truth here of justification by faith alone in Jesus as our righteousness, if you can get that, it's like putting on a Kevlar vest. Who knows what a Kevlar vest is? Okay, it's a bulletproof vest. 
It's something you can put on yourself and someone can literally walk up to you within a metre or so and shoot a gun at you and that bullet will not penetrate that vest. If you can get the idea of justification by faith alone, it's like putting a vest on that is impenetrable. Okay, we'll connect these dots in a minute. Let's move on. Righteous living, second part here. Now we are talking about the breastplate of righteousness as our armour against Satan's lies and accusations. And what we have to see, that righteous living goes hand in hand with understanding the righteousness of Christ that is now applied to my life through faith. In other words, if the gospel, if the good news of what Jesus has done for us has truly taken hold of who we are and it's transformed our hearts and our minds, it should be indicated by a willingness now to live a righteous life, to live a right life. If the gospel's truly gripped our hearts and changed us who we are, a natural outworking should be, I want to live the right way. I've discovered what Christ has done for me and the sacrifice he's made. I want to live a way now that glorifies him and pleases him. It should be a natural outworking in that sense. John the Baptist said this to those who were coming out to be baptised by him. He said in Matthew 3.8, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. In other words... If you're repenting, you're putting your trust in Christ and you're changing your mind about the way you want to live, that you no longer want to live in sin or evil, but you now want to live a righteous life or a right life before God, John the Baptist says, then bear fruit. Let your life produce something that indicates a changed heart, that you want to live in a right way. Let the gospel of Jesus Christ, which places you in a position of righteousness before God, now empower you to make these right choices in our lives. Make these choices now informed by the Holy Spirit, working through the gospel. Let our minds be changed. And this is similar in some aspects to the belt of truth we looked at a couple of weeks ago. If you or I make the wrong choice in life, we will reap the consequences of those actions. And actually what we'll do is we'll leave openings for something to get in. The Bible says, what you sow is what you'll reap. If you sow bad actions, you're actually opening yourself up for Satan to come on in. Perhaps you could be involved in a conversation with a person and it begins to turn nasty on you. Not you, but the other person might turn nasty upon you. And they start saying some hurtful or unkind things towards you. What's generally our first response in that, if someone starts to get a bit nasty or hurtful towards us? Our first response probably is, we, the hair in the back of our head stands up a bit and we might get a bit angry and a bit bitter. And we just want to fire straight back at them. Well, if you can give me that, I'll give you twice as much. That's the first thought that comes in, isn't it? You know, what goes around comes around, buddy. You know, I won't let you get away with this. This is sort of just brewing away in our minds as this person could be saying those things. If I succumb to that temptation, which will be probably influenced by a mixture of my own evil uh, heart inside, but also Satan influencing through that conversation as well. If I succumb to that Um, temptation and just give them a whole mouthful of my bitterness and my anger that I've had rolling around here, how will I feel afterwards? Well, on one hand, you might feel, you know, I'm glad I gave it to them. You might have that for a short portion. But if you're a true believer, you'll feel guilty and you'll feel terrible. How could I just go and verbally unload on them like that? You'll feel guilty and you'll feel terrible. How could I have spoken to that person like that? And what does Satan do then? First of all, he incites us to perhaps go and unload on it verbally and then we feel guilty and terrible for doing it. And what does he do next? 
what sort of a Christian are you? How could you do that? He cuts it both ways, doesn't he? So if we don't do that, if we don't allow, if, sorry, if we allow right living to work, then we're shutting down the opportunities for Satan to just throw in those darts or just pour on that guilt or pour on that condemnation. He's wicked. He incites us and then he makes us feel guilty. It's how he works. It's how he works. With the breastplate of righteous living, we can hold on and we can stand against Satan's schemes and be victorious over them. Okay, let's now begin to connect here um, the thoughts of the righteousness of Jesus Christ or justification by faith alone and what Christ has done for us. Let's take that a little deeper here and show that how it connects, when this connects together for us, uh, in reality it's incredibly powerful how it defeats Satan and all of his schemes. Let's look at it from this perspective. God has made us, God has created us to have feelings and emotions. We have people that are uh, emotional people. We have any range of feelings and emotions in our lives. We all share in these in various ways. Some of us are like really expressive with our emotions and we just can't wait to get out in the football field when Collingwood kicks the goal and jump high. Of course we do, don't we? Well, some, some of us are. We're just very expressive about it sometimes. And other people, uh, well, if Collingwood kicks a goal, we're expressive. It's it's, it's the emotions and the feelings that we have within us. And they range from that to that. And emotions and feelings, I reckon, are a wonderful thing that God's given to us. A glorious thing that God's given to us. The emotion of joy is wonderful, isn't it? When you're joyful, it just feels fantastic. You know, I'll use that word feels. It does. It feels fantastic. When you get your licence, how do you feel? The teenager feels fantastic and the mother or the father is a little bit worried. Now they're on the road on their own. How's it going to (laughs) go? Can't be like that. But when you yourself, you feel great. Or what about uh, when your boyfriend proposes to you? What's the girl feel? She feels great. She feels joyful. It's only taken him two years to get to this point. What's been taking so long? It feels, or we hear the news of a new baby born. We're joyful. Joy is a wonderful thing. Even the emotions of feelings of sadness are good for us as well. It's the opposite to joy, but they are good feelings for us to have. When we hear of someone really sick, we feel sad for them. When we hear of somebody in hospital who's suffering uh, greatly in medical complications, we feel sad for them. Or if somebody dies, we feel terribly sad and we grieve at the same time. That feeling is a good feeling for us because the feeling of sadness helps us to empathise with people, helps us to be sympathetic to their situation. If we didn't have the emotional feeling of sadness, we would be sort of cold and indifferent to what they're going through. Sadness, in a sense, helps us to feel what they are feeling. So emotions and feelings are really good things. It's 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 a glorious thing that God's created within us. They're incredibly powerful within us too, emotions and feelings. They really are amazingly powerful. Our feelings become a force that move and motivate us to do really unusual things that we would never ordinarily do. When when motivated by the feeling of love, we will go to amazing lengths to display it. Talking about guys proposing to girls, some guys have gone to the incredible expense of getting a skywriter to write, you know, will you marry me up in the sky? 
It's probably cost them thousands of dollars. But that's the motivation that, that this feeling of love has driven this person to do. He's just I'm so in love with this girl, I just want to rot it up in the sky. Or thinking about Remembrance Day. Think about the motivation or the feeling of mateship between soldiers. That they see their mate lying on the ground there with his, you know, wounded in his leg. And his mate gets out of the trench and runs under enemy fire to go rescue his mate and to drag him back to safety. It's this incredible power of feeling of mateship. It really does drive us to do amazing things with these feelings and emotions. It is massively powerful feelings. Satan knows just how powerful these feelings are. He knows just how much they work in our lives and he doesn't waste an opportunity to study us and then to work through these feelings and emotions to crush us. He doesn't leave any stones unturned in our lives. When he sees the power of these feelings and emotions within us, he works in these to crush us. Here's what I mean. Some of us may may try and live Christianity by feelings. How I feel. We may base our salvation on how I'm feeling today. I just don't feel saved today. I don't feel anything. I can't feel God. I'm expecting to feel this really strong confidence or this really strong assurance that's unmistakable within me, but I, I can't feel it. I can't feel anything. I'm looking for this feeling about God of which I can't describe, but I know if I have it, then I know I'm saved. If I, if I could just have this feeling. Satan takes a hold of that thought that he may see operating within us. And then he drives that thought home to tell us because we haven't got that feeling, now well, that confirms then that God doesn't love you. So you haven't got that feeling. And he drives that home. You see, we live in this touchy-feely world, which is not a bad thing, but we can easily let it be dragged into our Christianity and then try and carry it right through into our Christian faith. Because I can't feel anything at all at this particular time, well, then I mustn't be saved. I can't feel anything. And then we allow these feelings to dominate us and to control us and how we think. Because I can't feel something. It begins to just overwhelm me and draws me down. Now, I don't discount the feelings. God created us with feelings and with emotions, particularly here when it comes with the gospel. And the Bible tells me that the Holy Spirit is working in us to grow affections which are attached to our feelings, to stir up beautiful affections for Christ in our hearts. And part of the fruit of the Spirit that he works in us is joy. That's a feeling, that's an emotion, that's a great thing. And we should strive to grow our affections and express our love and worship of God in that way. We should. But this is also where the breastplate of righteousness, particularly justification in faith alone, kicks in. That could be the remembrance though. Cannon's going off. That's not the kids in the kids' church, okay? I know they're naughty, but please don't do that. (laughs) Okay, this is where the breastplate of righteousness kicks in. What I know about Jesus and the gospel in my mind begins to move into place to try and get order in my feelings. My righteous standing before God is securely in the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross. It doesn't matter how I may feel at that time, 
Because feelings come and feelings go. That's just how we are. Sometimes we're right up there and sometimes we're way down there or sometimes we're just there and we're just there. We, we can be all over the place. But the truth of the righteousness of Jesus Christ remains fixed. It's not changed by my feelings. And that's how God sees me in Christ. Not how I'm feeling, but what I'm wrapped in, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And then when I apply that armour, the breastplate of righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I can repel Satan's attacks. Let's look at it from another angle. Satan works in other ways with our feelings. One of Satan's main schemes in feelings, again, is to crush us with guilt and with shame and unworthiness, all attached to our feelings. As a Christian, he will seek to attack us this way. He works big time in this. What does he do? He works overtime in dragging up all the stuff from our past. He just brings it all back up again. It's like a video replay in front of our eyes. We go to bed at night and this, all this stuff just seems to come from somewhere in our mind and it's like it's all just happening again. All the stuff we've done in the past. And what does he do there? He brings it back to overwhelm us with guilt. And he will ramp up that load of guilt to paralyse us. He will say, as he's, as he's trying to bring these thoughts back up to our minds, God doesn't want you. Why would he want a filthy failure like you? You're no good to him. Look at what you've been up to in your past. Think of all those things you've been involved in. That's who you are. That's what defines you. Look at all the people you've burned off in bitter relationships. That's who you are. Think about all the times you've trashed yourself in your younger days in drunkenness. That's who you are. Think about all the people you've had sex with. That's who you are. Think about all the lies you've told to stitch people up and to rip them off. That's who you are. He just brings that up. And he says, that's who you are. God doesn't want you. How could he possibly want you? You're a failure. Satan pours on this guilt and condemnation. He pours it on. And we feel absolutely unworthy. We feel like a crumpled mess, overwhelmed with shame as he brings this up and builds this, as it were, into our minds. And those feelings are powerful. Absolutely powerful. They seem at times unstoppable. Particularly so when you're lying in bed at night and you might wake up at three in the morning and and those attacks may come. It just seems as unrelenting. You just can't shift that stuff out of your mind. It's like a rage and it just consumes us with guilt and shame. And often here we allow these feelings to crush us and then sap us of all power and we are just left in despair as this is taking place. These are powerful emotions that truly overwhelm us. Now, all sorts of things can contribute to those feelings at the time. We may also be in a season of extremely difficult challenges. We may have lots of stuff happening left, right and centre where we feel like we're just uh, empty of all types of energy. And Satan is already in 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 association with that, dragged up all this past and all this past is rolling around in front of us. We're exhausted mentally and physically and it's like we nearly pours onto us, hey, and God's just left you. He's abandoned you. He's not giving you any help at all now. 
It's like Satan will just take it to another level again in this, crushing us with our feelings in this whole complexity of life where we just feel absolutely shamed with guilt and we feel forgotten by God because he's not actually helping me at this time. This is what Satan is whispering into our hearts and our minds. So what do we do? What do we do? It's at this point we've got to get a hold of ourselves. We've got to get a hold of ourselves. We've actually got to talk to ourselves. That's not madness. That's really, really helpful. Look at this verse here in Psalm 42. It says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. What's the psalmist doing there? He's actually talking to himself. He's talking to himself. He's saying to himself, why am I cast down? Why am I in turmoil within me? He's talking to himself. He's trying to arrest himself out of this downward spiral of out-of-control feelings. He's trying to actually just stop himself in his tracks and stop this freight train of feelings just plummeting down the hill. He's just trying to stop the freight train and just saying, why am I cast down? Why am I in turmoil? But then he does something really significant, even this verse here. Amongst all these desperate, out-of-control feelings, he actually holds up the breastplate of righteousness. He says, hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. He's holding up the breastplate of righteousness there. He refocuses his mind and says, no, God, you are my salvation. God, you are my righteousness. Satan is trying to get us to look at ourselves to achieve our own righteousness through somehow our goodness, not Christ's perfection, but our goodness somehow will attract God's blessing toward us. Or Satan is trying to get us to focus on our overwhelming circumstances and convince us that God has totally abandoned us and left us to our own devices. He doesn't love us because of our shame and unworthiness. He's trying to do that. But the psalmist says no. He says, Jesus, you are my salvation. Jesus, you are my righteousness. I'm justified. I'm declared right by faith in what Jesus has done for me, not what I'm doing for him. I'm not justified. I'm not declared right by the feelings I have now because feelings come and feelings go. I'm justified, I'm declared right, not by the current circumstances I might be facing. It's got nothing to do with that. I'm justified, I'm declared right by what Jesus Christ has done for me. And this is the breastplate of righteousness. This is the armour that we put on. This is the armour that God has given to us. I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We've got to remember... That's who we are. We are gift-wrapped by a gift of Christ's righteousness placed upon me. And God doesn't do this begrudgingly. He willingly and graciously places the righteousness of Christ upon us. And he sees us through that perfection. He says this, He who's begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. 
He doesn't sort of attach the breastplate of righteousness to it and then just leave us to our own devices. He will work with us to hold that breastplate close to us despite what our feelings and our emotions and our circumstances are telling us. He who's begun a good work in you will be faithful to keep that breastplate of righteousness firmly attached to you to the very end. He won't strip that garment off us. That green jacket, as it were, stays on. Not just for 12 months till the next tournament comes around. It's on. It stays on. So when Satan comes, and he will, because he likes to come and take us down, we've got to remember, I have the breastplate of righteousness upon me. I have the perfection of Jesus Christ. Satan, you can say what you like and you can do what you like. I'm not defined by my feelings. I'm not defined by my past. I'm not defined by my circumstances. I am defined now by who Jesus Christ is. And as it were, this Kevlar vest, this impenetrable vest that is upon me that you cannot take away from me. I am righteous in Jesus Christ in all that he has done. Let me just close with this passage here out of Romans 8. And I just found this amazing when I read this um, through the week. I've read it plenty of times before, but just, just step through it with me here. What then shall we say to these things? So what are these things? Feelings, emotions, circumstances, trials, challenges, difficult people, problems. What what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, the one who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or feelings or circumstances or people or challenges or problems or trials? Who shall separate us? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him. And his righteousness placed upon us, who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, feelings, emotions, circumstances, trials, problems, challenges, difficulties, dramas, put what you like in there, or anything else, will not be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the breastplate of righteousness. If we can appropriate that by faith and apply that to our hearts and know that Christ places it upon us and he'll never take it away from us, we, are, we will be more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. Let's pray. 
Father, we uh, give you thanks and we give you praise today as we come and as we drink in that living eternal word. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that takes that word and brings it alive in our hearts. God, you are filled with grace and mercy towards us. You place, you provide and place this armour upon our lives. Not physically speaking, but spiritually speaking. We have this wicked, relentless enemy who wants to destroy our souls. But God, you graciously provide this armour. And today, Lord, as we think about this breastplate of righteousness, we pray. God, help us to appropriate that by faith and to see that you stand behind your promises. And today we are wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. That all of our past is forgiven. All of our past, as it were, is cancelled. All of our sins, past, present and future, have been washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ and we are permanently wrapped in his righteousness. God, I pray today, please help all of us as feelings come and as feelings go, as they overwhelm us, as they try and work in our hearts and then Satan tries to take hold of and to crush us with those feelings. Let us lift up our minds and our hearts again to see what you've done for us in Christ, to rejoice in that and to overcome Satan in all of his attacks. God, we ask that and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Doug's going to come and lead us from the communion table. Perhaps if the musicians could come and just um, take their place as well while Doug's doing that. Um, then I'll pop back after. So thanks, Doug. And for those on the communion, if they could hand that out as well.